everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after what I think was probably the most impressive win we've seen from the Winnipeg Jets in maybe neighborhood of six weeks, two months. I think it's somewhere around there. Uh, interesting game uh, from the beginning till the end, but before we get to that, I just uh, want to say let you in on a little secret here. Sometimes I peruse the comments that are being made before we hop into the show, and a couple caught my eye. The first is Russ Lowen, who said, that was a beauty of a night. I was all settled at home at 4.45 when my friend said her seat neighbor would give me second row center for free, said hi to Rennie, and a win worth leaving the house for. That's right. I was down walking through the concourse because my buddy Dwight, who I always talk about, was here, and Russ gave me the nod and the hey, Rennie, and you know what? I know if someone is saying hey, Rennie, it usually means that they've been watching the Kenny and Rennie show. So it was great to talk to you. Thanks for saying hi. If anyone else happens to see me out and about and you feel like saying hi, I'd love to say hi to you. That's excellent. Uh, Andy Johnson, too. I'm going to bring this up because this kind of helps me launch right into one I wanted to talk about. Andy Johnson says the Jets decide to put someone in front of the net, then decide to shoot instead of over past the puck. And voila, it's like showing a caveman fire for the first time. They're so surprised. I mean, I had this thought process of the Jets shooting the puck going through my head. They were the better team on this night. You know, I know we've talked a little bit in the past, but I've said, you know, I thought basically almost from the beginning to the end of this game, the Jets were the better of the two teams. But what I noticed early on was the Jets were still doing the curl back and the pass and kind of moving the puck around. And what I did notice was when... Colorado is getting the puck in and getting pressure they play a far more direct game there's not a lot of the curl back they're just pushing and trying to get to the front of that net they end up getting that goal the first goal of the game in that manner I'm starting to think is this going to be the difference in the game here tonight that one team the better team is entirely indirect and not pushing the puck and the other team is a little more direct and while they're not the better team on this night that's just a better philosophy to, to play by um and then all of a sudden the Jets started doing exactly what Andy said uh, that they, you know, talked about them doing is instead of overpassing the puck, started getting it on the net. That first goal, uh, Josh Morrissey fires it into the crowd. It was almost as though, if you take a look at the re replay from behind the net, it's almost as though he threw the puck not to the net, but into the chaos that was a little slightly right of the net. Bounces off a couple things. I think the last thing it goes off of is uh, Adam Lowry's skate and then redirects into the back of the net. But I mean, I love that idea. You know, we, the, I love the chaos created hockey and Josh Morrissey not trying to, you know, take it and put it past a screen goaltender and make the perfect shot and hope that it gets through, but throwing it into the chaos and allowing the Jets players who went to the front of the net hard to to have an opportunity to affect the outcome. Adam Lowry, who'd been having a great game and almost pulled off a gorgeous Peter Forsberg-like goal but hit the post, uh, gets rewarded. And, I mean, I thought he had a great night, deserving of that, to, to the guy who got the Jets going, great stuff. The next one is a similar type play in which Dylan Sandberg gets the puck and then fires it. Same thing right into the skates of uh, Nick Ehlers and a defender in front of the net. This one is a special one, I think, though, because it's not just chaos. This is like intelligent chaos in the way that Nick Ehlers, and I saw this, asked Coach Dave Lowry about it. He seems to buy into my theory. And you know, Reynolds theories are, Rennie's theories are, very rarely wrong on this show. So let's just get that out of the way right off the bat. But I threw one of my theories at, at Dave Lowry suggesting, I don't think that was a fluke. I think the shot going towards the net, Nick Ehlers kicks and redirects the puck purposely into the slot as a pass towards Blake Wheeler, who then pops it into the empty net. That's all the Jets would need, but they went and added more after that. But what I do like exactly as Andy Johnson was saying, was the Jets got active. They went to the front of the net. They stopped with the curl back they stopped with the passing around they started going hard to the net and I'll say this we get it Adam Lowry goes to the front of the net and that's great right you know and you would expect that the guy's a beast he's a monster so he can do that Nick Ehlers is not a beast and yet he went to the tough areas of the night and still found a way to create a skilled play out of that that's the game winner uh that's the kind of hockey the Winnipeg Jets probably haven't played enough of this year that won them the game on this night uh and it was an impressive win now we'll talk about the Colorado Avalanche because boy oh boy uh we'll, we'll get into it uh but let's get into let's get into the best part of the show the entry music for one Kenneth Weeb let's get him in here time to bring Kenny in
Kenny, welcome to the show. You know, I was starting to think as the Jets were losing that game one nothing in the third period that, you know, the Jets just couldn't seem to catch a break in this game and had, you know, we're starting to be on a heck of a losing streak here. But I thought, how am I going to explain this in the post game afterwards that I'd rather see the Jets lose games like that than win them the other way where they're doing the curlbacks, they're not doing all the right things and just kind of reinforcing the wrong behavior. But they end up pulling it out, come away with the win. Their patience and their tenacity pays off. That's what I saw. What do you see tonight? Yeah, an impressive showing for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, again, we understand this is garbage time, but. Here's the thing. I mean, if you, if the Jets had caught the Colorado Avalanche at the tail end of an eight or nine game winning streak, then you could understand the Avalanche kind of being ripe for the pickings, if you will, or maybe not providing the level of urgency that is required. But after losing three consecutive games, I mean, we heard Jared Bednar this morning talking about the need for their team to get their game on track. So for me, the Jets were able to raise their game. Sean, it's one of those games where when you're playing against the team that is among the gold standards in the NHL, you have to be ready or you run the risk of kind of getting run out of the rink early. So I think the Jets started on time. First period I thought was okay. Kyle Connor didn't love it, but... Overall, I thought the Jets were decent in the first, pretty good. And they got, they got better as the game went on. And Darcy Kemper was excellent. I mean, Darcy Kemper had to make a bunch of saves. Yeah. Uh, breakaways on Blake Wheeler, as you mentioned. I mean, he got the benefit of the post on the Adam Lowry-Peter Forsberg attempt, which, nice move by Lowry. I have no idea how the ref standing right in front of it missed the kind of can opener play by Eric Johnson where the stick was in the hands. I think, honestly, Sean, that's what prevented him from being able to tap it in. It kind of, He got his arm around, but because Johnson got his stick underneath in his hands, he wasn't able to convert uh, on that nice move. Uh, I thought their defensive structure was impressive, Sean. <laughs> Adam Lowry was almost shocked when Kelly Moore told him this morning that Nathan McKinnon had 33 shots on goal in the first three games. Tonight, Nathan McKinnon, two shots on goal in five attempts. And honestly, McCarr and and McKinnon were just not as noticeable as usual. Again, we know this is not the full avalanche lineup. Same as last time when the Jets went to overtime and lost 4-3. But, I mean, they're not playing a, a team of nobodies. I mean, the avalanche still had a lot of players in the lineup that have had a great year. And again, I think that if Kemper's not sharp, the Jets actually win this one in a blowout. I mean, 4-1, I think, was indicative of the of the style of play. Yes, and it, the Jets weren't hanging on for dear life. We've seen moments where the Jets have been great against Colorado, and then we've seen them when the roof has absolutely caved in. Tonight was not one of those nights. The Jets played a stable game. Connor Hellebuck was sharp, no doubt, but he wasn't overworked by any stretch. He didn't have to make 8 or 10 ridiculous saves he was big and boring and he played his style he fought through some traffic but as you mentioned I mean the Jets ability to get to the net was pivotal right I mean two goals off clean face off Vic off wins right I mean three I guess if you if you want to talk about the Wheeler goal I guess but um, two for sure but yeah I really like the way that the Jets played again is it too little too late for the folks saying that of course I get it I mean but the fact that they are able to play that type of style. I mean, we'll see what it means next season. But, I mean, I, this is what I know, Sean. If you're a hockey team, you'd rather play well at the end than play terrible, right? I mean, this is the simple thing. People saying, oh, well, it doesn't mean anything. Well, yeah, that's true. It doesn't mean anything except for the pride element. But the fact that the Jets aren't quitting and aren't just saying, oh, we're playing Colorado, we have no chance. I mean, that's important for them. So... Uh, was it a perfect game? No, and we'll get into that a little bit too. But for the most part, the Jets would have to be pretty impressed by how tidy their effort was overall. I don't think there's any such thing as as a, a perfect hockey game. Um, no. But I, I mean, I take a look at what happened out there tonight, and I think that the Winnipeg Jets did all you could ask from them in this situation. Now, is it a too little, too late situation? I think it entirely is. I don't know that there's anything that you can take away from this and say, this is something that we're going to build on. I'm starting to wonder how much belief there is in this team in itself that the, that the core needs to come back like we've asked some questions about you know how the team feels about this and one thing we haven't heard yet mr kenneth weeb is <laughs> this idea from the, the 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 core itself saying 
this is a core we believe in. Do not touch this core. We haven't heard that. I, it's almost to me like I'm hearing admissions from this group that, that, that one, I don't think they know what the problem is, but two, that they'd potentially be okay with you know, changes to try and address what's happening because I do think that there's a feeling that there does need to be some kind of change. So, I mean, a game like tonight doesn't really address any of that, but what it does do is it gets a building happy. It gets like Blake Wheeler had said, this team wanted to come home and play its last four games in front of its home crowd and give them something to come back for. Listen, this has been a tough season. COVID's going to have played a role. How the Jets played is going to have played a role, but the days of the absolutely jam-packed, unbelievably loud MTS Center or Canada Life Center, what it is now, um, that that didn't exist this year. Uh, it existed at times. There were a couple games where that existed. The last time Colorado was in town, it was a pretty jam-packed crowd. Um, but there's the, the, the way I see it, the very least that you could ask of the Winnipeg Jets is that they make overtures to the crowd in this building who come out and pay the money to come out and watch them play in these last four games that they make overtures to them through showing them good hockey hard-edged hockey their best effort and, and and entertainment right like and and i thought that the winnipeg jets did that tonight i thought they did did a phenomenal job of it um i don't think we saw anywhere near the best from the colorado avalanche in fact i'd like to kind of get into a quick talk about them because they're my stanley cup pick and for the first time since i made that pick at the beginning of the season even when they stumbled out of the gates i'm actually a little bit worried about that team <laughs> but before we do get to that uh, i do want to make sure that we pay homage to the people who help us put this on let's start with a cambrian credit union uh who you and i both bank with ken one of the big advantages we have about being members at cambrian is that you get to bank for free with unfee all you need is a monthly recurring direct deposit to your cambrian checking or savings account and you qualify for refund refunded services no minimum balance required you can save 222 dollars in fees every year visit cambrian.mb.ca slash unfee to learn more now i'm going to get into that ken because and and, and I, I i realize i don't want to be one of those guys who doesn't appreciate what he has because what i have right now is worry over a team that i picked to, to win the stanley cup final in in the colorado avalanche where you have worry over your stanley <laughs> cup final pick on whether they're not going to be in the playoffs or not i last i looked they're down one nothing to the san jose sharks now one all the, uh, it's Vegas one all Golden Knights. it's one it's all, one all? oh Not look at one. the smile on that face <laughs> you know what i actually do think there's a good chance they sneak it because if they win this game they're two points back in dallas and then they have a game in sorry not a game in hand but they play each other and vegas owns the tiebreaker so if they if vegas wins that game they'll be tied in the standings each with two games left and while the last two games for dallas are cream puff games i just i think that there just may be enough in there for the vegas golden knights that if if they're in that position and they win that game and they 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 control their own fate that they'll be able to pull something off there at the end of the season there of course it's all contingent on them beating the san jose sharks here tonight but it's going to be an interesting one but just a quick one we don't we know the crowd gets a little antsy if we spend too much time on other teams but Ken, do I have reason to worry about this Colorado Avalanche team? Because I think they're playing their worst hockey they've played all season at the worst possible time. You only have to worry, Sean, if they play like this when uh, Miko Rantanen, Gabe Landeskog, and Devon Taves are in the lineup. Then you should worry. And Until that happens, you don't need to worry or give it a second thought. Uh, it's not a cakewalk, but if you're a Colorado, they peaked far too early last year. So you'd rather them not be peaking uh, in April when there's a game uh, coming up with game. They need to play well for game one. And if you're Jared Bednar, you're not happy with what you see, but you, you trust your leadership that when the team is healthy, that they'll get things turned around. Yeah, see, and I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of bad habits creeping in here. One of the things that uh, uh, I always watch for as a sign of health with um, – with teams is that their trade deadline acquisitions when they bring them in and they're able to kind of contribute and I think a lot of times those players that feel like they could or sorry that contribute are players that feel comfortable that feel that they're part of something Josh Manson has been a little bit of a garbage fire since they picked him up you know and and I, we were joking about this down in the media room before we came up here but it's about time Joe Sackick had a miss as a GM it seems like that everything he's King Midas everything he touches turns mm -hmm. to gold that is 
was until this Josh uh, Manson trade happened. He had a rough go of it here tonight. And Adrian Dater, uh, one of the uh, writers in that market who I like to pay a lot of attention to, um, has been saying he thinks he's at the point where he's almost played his way off the playoff roster, which is a tough pill to swallow if you're the Colorado Avalanche who went out to get that player. Now, you're right. There's a ton of depth on that lineup and some key, key players, including their leading scorer, including their captain, who is one of their leading scorers, including, uh, you know, arguably, and this is crazy to say, uh, with Kale McCarr on that lineup, but Devon Tays could be arguably their best defenseman. Um, there's people out there that would make that argument, and I've got time for that argument. I don't agree with it. I still can't think Kale McCarr is their guy. Uh, but Sam Gerrard looked confused out there at times. That goal you were talking about, the, the face-off win, if you go back and watch it, um, Nick Ehlers is so wide open off that draw. It is criminal. And there are three. I, I love this. Uh, miscommunication, to, though, there, right? I mean, a little bit of a miscommunication. Two guys went Sam to the Gerard, wrong guy. It's Exactly. Sam Gerrard's, uh, you know, either supposed to follow him or someone is supposed to switch off. Three guys went together. And as my coach used to say in termite hockey, we'd all gather around the puck. He's like, I could throw a tire on the ice and land it on top of all three of you and trap you together. You could have done that to those three players. That was absolutely atrocious coverage. Regardless, um, the, 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 a line that came up for me, and you, you can respond right after this, a, a line that came up for me the other night uh, from the Jets was they left their goalie out to dry on this night. The Colorado Avalanche, who are supposed to be a bit of a defensive juggernaut, left their goaltender out to dry tonight. You were right, Darcy Kemper was great, but nothing could have, I mean, he got no help from his team. And the reason it looks worse than, it, I mean, it's already bad, yes. It looks worse because of how great a play Paul Stastny makes. The, Paul, the, the puck had been between his feet for so long, that's why the winger abandoned going to Ehlers. And Paul Stastny kicks it across. And I think that's why it kind of, created a little bit of confusion that that was how i saw it right i mean the other one oh, was, just you know, regardless clean, other... that no one i mean the, the danger in that situation is nick ehlers obviously how oh, he agreed himself. so not only is he wide open on the wall like he could have stopped at any point and shot that puck but he skates basically right into the slot with it and no one is anywhere near him give nick ehlers that kind of time he's going to burn you i don't care who who that goaltender is that was about as bad as blown coverage as i can remember seeing off of a face-off draw it's not what you expect from this team and the one thing i would definitely say about this team that that would have me a little bit concerned if i'm jared bedner never mind the fact they've lost five of their last six games never mind the kind of maybe Maybe, I don't know if teams would take it like this, but the, maybe the bit of the gut punch in that they basically had the President's Trophy locked up and like that gave it away to the Florida Panthers. Uh, you know, um, I, I mean... 13 I, wins in a row isn't exactly giving it away. It's giving it away when you lose five or six games. No right, doubt. You still have I mean, to win 13 in a row in order to bridge the gap, right? I mean, you're right. They left the door well, open. That, that's what I'm saying. They left the door open. It's the last minute. I mean, this was their trophy. And then they, they watched a, a team charge. And rather than fending off that charge, they crumpled under that charge. I don't know about the psychology of it. I don't know if teams care about the president's trophy. I tend to think they don't care they don't. much about it. They don't. But I'll still say this. They, they go into the playoffs having failed at their greatest challenge of the regular season right before they go into the playoffs. And then who knows, they run into either the Dallas, it's looking like uh, the Dallas Stars or the Vegas Golden Knights, who are two, who are the last two teams that knocked this Colorado Avalanche team out of the playoffs. So there's some demons to slay there as well. This is a team that just created a new demon and has two more demons to come up and slay. Anyways, we've talked enough about them. Let's get back to the Winnipeg Jets, uh, and let's start with Kyle Connor. Uh, but before we do, actually, yeah, let's get right into Kyle Connor. Um, sets the okay. Jets 2.0 record for the most goals in a single season, surpassing Patrick Line, who had 44. Kyle Connor walks away with 45. Now the hunt is on. Three more games for him to try and get 50 goals. You know. I'm not saying uh, I think it's going to be done, but it's definitely plausible for it to be done with the Seattle Kraken and the Philadelphia Flyers coming into town. I personally think, outside of the fact the Montreal Canadiens are last place in the league, I still do think, as far as where those teams are right now, that the Philadelphia Flyers are the worst team in the NHL. So there's a chance there. Um, what did you think of Kyle Connor's response to uh, walking away with the Jets 2.0 new goal-scoring record? Yeah, I mean, he's proud of it, but, I mean, it's so interesting, right? I mean, Kyle Connor, 
could care less about the numbers, but at the same time, I do think uh, he'd love to get 50. Anyone who, anyone who has 50 within spitting distance wants to get 50. I mean, Kyle had a great game. If he had converted a couple of the chances, he'd be sitting at, you know, 46 or 47. No and then doubt. it's really on the, on the precipice, right? So... I do want to say something quickly. Uh, I mean, there too, you talk about some struggles defensively. Eric Johnson, terrible turnover on Kyle Connor's goal. I mean, he basically put it on a platter for Jansen Harkins. Totally. And, Har- and Harkins made a nice play to get it to Connor. And then again, the in tight hands by Kyle Connor. We've talked about it for years since he broke into the league. Uh, just exceptional in that area. I asked both Dave Lowry and Kyle Connor about it. I mean, this is the thing, Sean, to me that is impressive. Anyone who's played any level of hockey knows that every single coach in the National Hockey League is circling number 81 on his dry erase board before every game. You need to be aware when Kyle Connor is on the ice each and every single time. Each and every time. It doesn't matter if you're on the ice, coming onto the ice on a line change, or whatever. You need to be paying attention to Kyle Connor, and Kyle Connor still has put up 45 goals and counting. That's the impressive part about uh, for about the effort for me. We talked about it the other day. The fact that his longest stretch of without a goal was five games, mm-hmm. and he had two assists during that span. Incredible consistency. His ability to diversify his offense. He's not just scoring from a stationary position on one-timers. Goes to the hard areas, scores on breakaways, scores timely goals, gets the job done when it counts. Uh, it's just exceptional. And one thing for all the folks at home that are that are all over Kyle Connor for looking to what you thought was an easy empty net tap-in, it's an easy tap-in if he's right-handed. If you're left-handed, I mean, Jansen Harkins makes a nice play to get the puck over to Kyle Connor, but where the puck was and where he was in relation to the goal line, he didn't really have much of a chance to score there, even though, yes, it looks like it's close. He made an impressive job just to make it close, and I think the puck may have nicked the post, but that's an incredibly hard angle to try and score from. I mean, could you have made a case that if he had maybe stopped it and gone to his backhand and gone? Sure, but he didn't have much time in that scenario. But Kyle Connor was buzzing. He made a ton of great plays. And to me, Sean, the way that he shielded himself away from a dashing Kale McCarr on the shorthanded chance... I mean, Kale McCarr is an exceptional skater, just like Kyle Connor. His ability to keep him to the outside and then go to the outside and get a really good shot away, that was just sensational stuff from Kyle Connor. Uh, I also love what he's done in terms of his leadership. We've talked about that a lot. But man, oh man, like just an absolute talent. Uh, honestly, one of the best pure goal scorers in the National Hockey League. I mean, there's no doubt about that. He's put up the numbers to do so. Uh, it, it's an exceptional season. And honestly, the fact that he missed those games because of COVID, now that's what may keep Kyle Connor from hitting 50 if he doesn't get hot in this last three-game stretch and hit the number. Here's what I think about Kyle Connor. Um, now, right now, you have to put him in the conversation and probably out of the conversation. I think that he's having the best point production year of any Winnipeg Jet 2.0 that we've seen, right? Is the record not 91? Before this was 91 points. Wheeler twice, uh, yep. Wheeler twice, but uh, Shifley once as well, was he not? Did Shifley nope. hit 91 82. points? No? Okay. 82 is his That was his most? Uh, Can't be. He isn't hit 90. Yeah. 80, I'll double check. but It has to be higher because he's... It's he's not 90. Best. He's, yeah, but he's got six straight point-per-game seasons. I don't think he's hit 82 every single time. Doing 84 it. Uh, is his high. There 82 you go. is okay. his second highest. So, so let's take a look at you know the guys that we would consider you know the, the best point-producing players, goal-scoring players, whatever, however you want to say it, offensive guys in the history of Jets 2.0. It's probably a fairly – I don't want to call it a short list. It's Got Patrick Line. Let's start with Patrick Line, who he beat here. Patrick Line was a guy who, when he got going, look out, he was near unstoppable. I think what we've seen from Patrick Line when he gets going is he reaches a level of white hot offensive output that not even Kyle Connor can t- could talk about. But he's like a son that burns himself out, right? And we've seen this movie a number of times before if you go back to the year that he scored 44 goals i believe he went fairly dormant i think he had about he did, 41 yep. goals he went 
fairly dormant for the last 10 to 15 games of the year. Uh, and, and that's just w- what we see from him. You go back and what was it that November in 2019, is it Ken, where he just goes on an absolute tear and has almost the, uh, the second highest producing month of November, or was it month ever goal wise in the NHL behind yeah, behind only the Finnish Flash in Timu Solani. Um, so we know we know that about Patrick Line. When he gets going like that, he gets going like that. So if you contrast Patrick Line to that, or excuse me, Kyle Connor, here's a guy who just like you'd said, the longest he's gone without a goal is five games. He he it's not that he can't put up a number of goals in a game, but his consistency is what blows me away. Now, if you take a look at Shifley and Wheeler, these are two players that the way that they put up their points would be, and I can't tell you how many times I did a hockey night in Canada opening, where I would be putting out these audacious numbers and just saying, Boy, oh boy, over the last nine games, these two players have combined for like 38 points or something silly like that, right? But I can tell you this, if you go back Back in the history of the Winnipeg Jets, where they blew teams out and put up like seven points or something like that, dollars to donuts, those two players had eight to ten points combined, right? So what those players did really well is that they that when when the ball got the when the ball got rolling in game, they pounced, right? And they would just rack up the points and rack up the points. And they'd be given the opportunity by their head coach to get out on the ice and keep racking up points. One of the things that I think these players on a very offensive team loved about Paul Maurice is he greased the wheels for players who wanted to pad their stats and get into a place where they looked like they were among the league's elite, right? We talk about the amount of assists, you know Blake Wheeler is one of the greatest uh, assist men in the game from 2015 on. If you go take a look at the numbers. And one of the reasons that will be is because he was given every opportunity on the power play. He was given every opportunity on any empty net situation. And he was given a ton of ice time to get out there in games where things were going well for them. So that's how those players put up their points. I would say Kyle Connor is, compared to the three of those players, the most honest point producer slash goal scorer of all of those players the the goal the points that he's been getting and earning he's been doing it the right way he's been doing it consistently he's not piling on and walking away and putting up six points in a seven point game and then going to sleep for a while he's going out and he's putting up two points in those games and then continuing to do what he does and then he's going the next game and putting up one point and then he's missing a point in the next game and then he's coming back and putting up another two points and you you have to admire that because in a season where everything has been so grossly inconsistent he has been phenomenally consistent so consistency i i i dare say it can i don't think consistency necessarily always adds up to the highest point producing guy um you know, bombastic ability to put up points in a short amount of time is often what produces the highest scoring player. Kyle Connor did it the right way more so than any of those other three players. He he belong or he 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 should and deserves the crown as the greatest scorer slash point producer in single season history for the Winnipeg Jets and he did it the right way. It's phenomenal stuff. Yeah, and he should also, I, mean, I think I said it last game, but I'm going to say it again. He, he should be the clear-cut winner of the Lady Bing Trophy as well this season. Just four yeah. penalty minutes, which is crazy. No doubt. Ken, is there any way you can get closer to your mic when you talk? Because I'm having a hard time hearing you. We'll let the chat room tell us if they are as well. Um, but uh, let's move on. I wanted to talk about Dylan Sandberg. So let's, uh, and before we do that, uh, we should definitely be uh talking again about our other sponsors uh, who we appreciate and do such a good job of allowing us to do this. The Johnston Group, we want to talk about their Chambers plan. You won't find two businesses with the same challenges, but you will find 30,000 businesses with Chambers Plan employee benefits proudly administered by our friends at Johnston Group. Chambers Plan is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers Plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues, and Teladoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers Plan can benefit your business by visiting chamberplan.ca. And if you decide to go down the road and get into business with the Johnson Group, I hope you get a chance to interact with them because they're great people. They love their hockey. They're just like everyone here in the chat room. Uh, 
phenomenal people. If you do happen to end up doing business with them, we'd love to hear about it uh, because we're proud of we're proud of them, proud of what they do, uh, and we appreciate their support here. Um, let's get into Jansen Harkins. So we had had a little bit of a chat about uh, Jansen Harkins, you, myself, and other members of the media while we were watching practice yesterday. And I have to say, I've been a little bit baffled by the lack of usage of Jansen Harkins. And we've talked about this. I've been on record as saying I thought he was the guy who was going to be taken by the Seattle Kraken. I'd wondered if there was maybe a little bit of a gamesmanship being played last season and that he wasn't getting as much ice time because I thought maybe the Jets were trying to hide him. If you go back to two seasons ago, we had an addition up on higher up the lineup and he did phenomenal with it. One of the things I thought this year was on in a year where maybe effort uh, and output was questionable up and down this lineup. I don't think that you could question Jansen Harkin's efforts. He's in on the puck. He's speedy. He's always looks to be going 100 miles a minute. I guess if there was one thing you would say is if you're looking for him to go out and just earn results for himself, it hasn't come uh, in the manner of goals or assists. But on this night tonight, when Dave Lowry had said for the rest of the season here, he's planning on putting his veterans in position to addition. He gets a, a spot on that second line, and I thought he cashed in well. What did you see from him? Unmute. There you go. No. The, uh, oh, we got the Zamboni on, so I know that's uh, in the background here. Uh, I liked a lot of Harkins' game, for sure. I uh, saw a nice effort, saw a couple of chances. Uh, really, you know, nice pass to Connor, as I mentioned. He got his feet moving. I thought he was skating well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we were debating about the chance. I mean, he had a chance in the second period, I believe, a one-timer chance that Connor kind of put in his vicinity. Was it a perfect play? No. I uh, didn't really hit it. That's the kind of play for me. If if you get that chance, you got to bury those when you can. I mean, like yeah. I said, I'm not saying it was an easy play. It wasn't. No. But that's kind of one of those that if it's – I thought it was close enough for, to his wheelhouse that he should have got a better chance on it. Well, and, and I agree with you. I know exactly what play you're talking about. And I remember thinking in that moment, that's a play that, you know, like a goal scorer or even, you know, a prospect who's trying to make a name for himself converts on. Agree with you 100%. Go on. Those are the ones that keep you up at night. If you're in that yep. situation when you're, you know, just dying to get another opportunity. So, but again, I liked a lot of what he did. I mean, I think he used his feet to get involved. Um, but here's the thing. I mean, hey, Jansen Erkins got a promotion, scored two goals, and then he got bumped back down the lineup. But, Sean, would you care to take a guess when the last time Jansen Harkins had an assist before tonight was? Oh, geez. Even guess what it's... month it was in. Let's guess that it happened back in February. December 5th against the Leafs. Oh, boy. Ouch. Ouch. So, again, I'm not knocking... Jansen Harkins. He's played mostly in fourth line duty this year. Lots of guys got better opportunities than him, including Christian Veselainen and several others. But, like I said, if you want to play more, you got to do it the most that you can in limited minutes. And then when you get the bump up, then you got to try to take advantage. I mean, we know, you know, Morgan Barron had the great game in Montreal, right? That, uh, but again, you got to sustain it when you can. So uh, I think Jansen Harkins has done a nice job to get to seven goals in a year where he didn't play a ton. But It'll be interesting to see where things happen. But you're right. I mean, Jansen Harkins is one of the veterans who is auditioning, right? Jansen Harkins is one of the reasons why the Jets haven't used their two of the recalls on forward prospects that they'd like to get a look at. They've got other guys that they feel they owe it to you to give opportunities to show whether they want to be part of the team or maybe part of a trade deal this year. I mean, you talked about Seattle. If the Jets are moving one of their forwards... I mean, is Jansen Harkins a guy that maybe is in the deal or maybe someone else up front is in the deal so that he gets a better opportunity elsewhere? I mean, that's what will be interesting to monitor. Again, now follow it up, right? So you're going to have this opportunity for a bit. So follow it up. <laughs> that's a good one, Raymond. You, you can't hear me because you won't let me talk. It's totally not true. Totally not true. And when Sean wants to go to the buffet, he can. I don't hog the buffet. I like to go to the buffet. But it's not a situation where I want to be there all night and not let anybody else have a plate or two of food. Yeah, he, he leaves some meat on the bone every once in a while. Yeah, he does. 
anyways, not to uh, not to interrupt. Um, you know what I thought was interesting was Dave Lowry talking about the conversations that both Pierre Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor had with Jansen Harkins at the beginning of that game when he felt that things weren't going well with Jansen Harkins off the top. Um, I thought it was a really revealing look at kind of the evolution of those two players. What did you think? Yeah, I liked it. And, and you know what that means? It means that those veteran players who have taken ownership in a leadership capacity want to see a player like Jansen Harkins succeed because they know how hard it is to be in that situation. And again, we talk about this all the time. Anyone who's in the NHL or in the minors who's a consideration would love the opportunity to play along those two guys. But it's not an easy role to fill, even when you play with great players. Because you want to, you got to find the balance between letting the game come to you and trying too hard to make a play, right? So for me, Jansen Harkins in the early going probably wants to make something happen so badly that the that the plays that are maybe the routine plays they become a bit more difficult. So uh, I thought that he settled in. I mean, even Kyle said it himself. He felt that Harkins, like the Jets as a whole, got better as the game went on, and that's what you want. Because here's the other thing: if you're Jansen Harkins. You also have to fight, resist the urge to not try to do too much because you don't know how many shifts you're going to get on that line if it's not going well for you early. So to me, I thought he did a nice job uh, with that. And yeah, lots of people talking about Morgan Barron. I mean, again, Morgan Barron, I've talked about this for weeks now. I want to see him with Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton because that could be a spot for him next year. I'm not knocking his production. I'm just saying... That if a guy only has three assists on the season, you're going to try to have to do more. It, is it fair? Of course not. But if you want to outplay somebody, you're going to have to have some results. That's what I'm saying. It's what allowed Jansen to get the opportunity in the first place because he played so well at the American League level. Of course it's hard to produce when you're playing five minutes a game. I'm not saying he should be a 20-goal scorer with that production. I'm saying that you have to make the type of play. And it's not just about goals and assists. Make the plays routinely that make your line mates better. And when you do that, no matter what line you play on, then you can go from there. Um, a couple of things. Sure, let's here. go so to this right away, too. No, 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 hold on. I, I'm not, okay. We'll go to this. Um, I just want to, uh, we'll, we'll go to Logan Stanley later. I wanted to just make a quick comment in what I was talking about, the conversation that Dave Lowry had had about those two players and just the growth that we're seeing from those two players. Um, talked about kind of the leadership aspect. And I mean, the interesting part about it is I think we've always taken a look at Blake and Blake is not your rah-rah kind of captain either. He's not the guy who speaks in the room. Uh, he's always been the guy that Paul Maurice talked about. Uh, I, I always thought this was a good line. He said, you know, the way that, that Blake Wheeler leads is he will embarrass you with effort. So if you are not doing your best out there, Blake is going to embarrass you out there. Dave Lowry talked about both Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor as being the kind of players that really aren't that vocal either, but do the right things on the ice. I just thought the idea that if you take a look at those players, and we know this about Kyle Connor, right? Like this is a guy who I don't think, I don't think he ever disliked the media, but I just don't think he ever felt overly comfortable there. He's getting better and better. And I think why not? I mean, you rarely have anything bad to talk about with the guy because he's always, like I'd said, consistent and always, you know, putting up points and, 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 you know, being talked about more and more as, you know, an underrated guy in the league. Um, but he's clearly not a guy who's much of a talker. Um, but the fact that, that, what you know it was pointed out the communication that those players were having with each other on the ice I just think that that's more of those two players and Pierre-Luc Dubois who again is one of the younger players on this roster you know taking a leadership role taking a guy like you talked about you're saying though they've been in that situation before taking a guy like that and talking him through it so that his game ends as well as that did that to me shows a player in game that got better because his teammates communicated with him and put him in a better spot to succeed. The more of that that you have happening, the more, the, the better your team is going to be. And I would go as far as saying, Ken, it was Kyle Connor who talked about it never being too early to work on culture on this team. Culture has been a big question here. Blake Wheeler was asked about it. Blake Wheeler basically said, you know, if there's a culture issue, it's on me. But what I love about this is it's Kyle Connor is the guy who said it's never too early to work on culture. I think in doing that, he kind of, he kind of 
admitted where no one else on this team would that this team's culture could use some work. And the example of him doing what he did with Jansen Harkins tonight, I believe, is an example of a player taking control and bettering the culture on that bench and thus in that room. I think it's good stuff. Ownership, that. I think ownership. Ownership. And Pierre ownership. Dubois doing. Pierre-Luc Dubois doing the same thing is great, which leads us to the Pierre-Luc Dubois question that we should get into. Randall D. asks about the Hockey Night in Canada comments about Pierre-Luc Dubois last night. Now, to catch everybody up, um, Elliot Friedman had talked about that situation, said uh, what we know and we've talked about, and we'll get into that. Ken is going to do a good job of explaining it in about a second here, but that Pierre-Luc Dubois has a lot of the cards in this negotiation that he's going to be going into with the Winnipeg Jets in the offseason. Um Ken has been on the record and wrote a great story about it. You can go back and check it out if you need to, to fill yourself in on it. But Ken believes that Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to sign the richest contract in Winnipeg Jets 2.0 history. I guess it would probably make it 1.0 history as well. Um, richest contract in Jets history this offseason in a long-term deal, which is what the Winnipeg Jets will be looking for. They're not interested in any kind of bridge deals or anything like that. There's probably not enough time left for bridge deals unless a one-year deal is, I guess, technically. One-year deal is, yeah. Um, but but that's that's where you've been on this, Ken. Uh, the suggestion by Elliot was that you know if the Jets don't feel that they're going to get that reciprocation from Pierre Luc Dubois, and there's a bunch of reasons, and we'll get into them right now, uh, why maybe that di- that would not happen. Um, that we could start hearing his name being out on the market and the Jets saying, okay, well, if we're not going to lock him down here right now this summer long term, we're going to move off from him. What did you take away from those comments? Yeah, no doubt Elliot's dialed in and you're not saying that without having some sourcing on that. We know Elliot's a great reporter and I mean, there's no doubt that there could be a lot of reasons for this. There's, you know, both sides of the coin make a lot of sense. But so to me, I think this is simple. The Jets' top priority this offseason is to sign Pierre-Luc Dubois to a long-term extension. Uh, is there a scenario where they may have, you know, Patrick Laine is a great example. Uh, after a tough season, he took a one-year deal two years out of unrestricted free agency. Pierre-Luc Dubois is still two years away from being an unrestricted free agent. So there is an impetus to get the deal done now, but it's not the end of the world to for either side unless negotiations go so poorly that there's a trade demand, right? So to me, uh, I, I don't think it's uh, you know something that has to be sorted out in the in the like in the next month or so. I think it's important that they get the negotiations going on a positive note. I don't think that either side wants to go to arbitration uh, because that that's something that can impact the relationship. Uh, I think it is important for the Jets to make a long-term deal in terms of an overture. Um, I mean, there's lots of reasons things like this come up. It's an important deal for both sides. Pierre-Luc Dubois had a bad breakup with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I've said it numerous times. To me, he looks like someone who wants to plant his flag with the Winnipeg Jets. He knows the benefits and value of playing with a 45 to 50 goal scorer like Kyle Connor. I think that will only help his point totals increase, uh, but at the end of the day, Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to want to do what's best for Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's going to be due a substantial raise, and what that looks like exactly, you know, that's where the two sides have to come together. I mean, with the flat cap world that we're living in, uh, is there some risk uh, in going north of $8 million? Sure, there's risk with everything, but uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois has shown his value to the Winnipeg Jets, both in terms of producing 27 goals to tie his career high. We expect him to raise that number in the next three games here. But it's what he does in terms of drawing penalties, dragging his teammates into the fight, the leadership that you mentioned, and the ownership he's taken with this team in terms of being a leader. But guess what? Players like that get paid. Now, what you have to come together on is how much more growth are you going to see? Like you said, Sean, he's still one of the youngest players in the Winnipeg Jets. We don't think he's hit his ceiling yet. But what is that ceiling and how much are you willing to pay or invest in ensuring Pierre-Luc Dubois hits that ceiling with the Winnipeg Jets? That's the question for the Winnipeg Jets. We know they value him, but what number are you going to put on that? Are you going to be comfortable going north of what Kyle Connor makes when Kyle Connor is the best player on the team? I mean, that those are things that happen over time. So I still think it all gets worked out. I don't think... Kevin, what we've seen from the history of the Winnipeg Jets, 
they don't panic when it comes to moves. Even when trade requests are made, and I'm not saying there has been or will be one from Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think he's interested in being here. But the longer you wait, the tougher it gets. Right, Sean? So that's the thing that they have to remember. We know they value him, but as you pointed out, there was a stretch where Pierre-Luc Dubois went with one goal in 13 games. But he still has 27 goals, which is his career best something he did as a 20-year-old in the National Hockey League. I mean, we've talked all year long about Nazem Kadri's incredible season. How many goals does Nazem Kadri have, Sean? 28. Yeah. So look at what his value is to the Colorado Avalanche. He has more assists, of course he does. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how it develops, no doubt. But I'm not changing my viewpoint. I think there is a marriage that is going to be extended from both sides. It will be a long-term marriage, and they'll find a number that works on both sides. Uh, Brandon, uh, Brandon Souza, he's not worth $8 million. Well, who are you going to replace Pierre-Luc Dubois with that you can get for $8 million would be my counter to that. Yeah, um, here's the deal. I just think that in, in a negotiation, um, one of the things that Kevin Chevaldeoff has done in his time in locking up a lot of the stars that he's done is when he's got team control, those are cards in, in the card game. When you sit down yep. at the table and you play high-stakes poker to see how much a guy is going to stay here for or whether he's going to leave or you know all of this kind of bluffing that goes along with that. Kevin Chevaldeoff, when he's had those cards, has leveraged them extremely well he doesn't have those cards in this situation now Patrick Liney is a guy who definitely wasn't going to stay so it's not exactly the same situation but there was a situation here in which the Winnipeg just were moving Patrick Liney with two years left of team control or three years remind me of this next year is his last year so three years of team three. control they were moving Patrick Liney with three years of team control because the less team control that you have the less value there is in that player. That's that in this situation with two years left before Pierre-Luc Dubois goes to unrestricted free agency or potentially goes to unrestricted free agency. Those are massive cards. That's a pair of bullets in his, in his hand at this situation. There is no reason for Pierre-Luc Dubois to feel any pressure to sign anything in Winnipeg this year, but there is a ton of pressure for the Winnipeg Jets to feel like they need to get him locked down right now. I, I have to say I disagree with your theory of saying, okay, let's just go one year and roll the dice and go into one more year, and then we'll do that deal at that stage. I don't think the Jets do that, and I think this is what Elliot's story is about. And I know that earlier on here, uh, someone had said, uh, I'll pull it out, Rennie the Love Face, great name, by the way. Elliot's comments <laughs> on PLD were totally ridiculous and unnecessary. Can't the same be said for most players? No, it can't be said for most players. This is a scenario by which the way that it's lining up, the amount of time that's left, and I'll say this, out there as well, like, of all the things going in there factor, Pierre-Luc Dubois, it, it, why would he want to stay in Winnipeg? Well, one of the reasons we talk about is, A, you're entirely right, Ken. I get to play with with uh, um, Kyle Connor for the next little while. That's the guy I get to look over and be on my wing. That's attractive. I want to sit around and do that. What else? Well, mom and dad are here. Dad's made a home here. He, he works with the other team. It's a little bit like home. But Pierre-Luc Dubois also goes home to Montreal for the off-seasons. That's where his friends are. That's where his off-season life is right now. Maybe that would change if he stayed full-time in Winnipeg. But right now, that's where he heads. Well, the Montreal Canadiens have absolutely fallen apart and are going to be a bit in rebuilding mode. Probably uh, are, you know, they've been in the process and moving guys like Tyler Toffoli, but are going to be dropping contracts. This is a team that very well is positioned if Pierre-Luc Dubois wants to wait and be patient, or if the Winnipeg Jets have to look for a trade partner, may very well look to a place like the Montreal Canadiens because the one thing about unrestricted free agents and I'll bring it up Ken uh, one of the Winnipeg Jets players who was going to free agency a number of years ago I asked him what it was like and he said it's every player's dream to go to unrestricted free agency and see what all the teams think of you right you get to decide where you want to go what your life is going to be like and another thing that hasn't That there is, I I don't think Ken, and this is not, a whole other conversation now, but I don't think this Winnipeg Jets team looks at what happens th this year, shrugs it off, and says, "Ah, it's a one-off. We'll be back next year." I think that there's, I, I think that they believe that they can, but I think they're very aware that it could also go the other way as well. So if I'm Pierre Luc Dubois, 
Is Am I in a rush to lock down long-term on a team that I'm not sure if they're going to have it figured out? That's the other part of this. We need to see what the Winnipeg Jets are going to be in the offseason and what kind of team they are going forward. Are they going to make a splash? Are they going to move a guy like Mark Shifley? You, you kind of need to know that if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois. So, so time is on his side in the way that there's only two years left. He's got a you know, a lot next year and put all the pressure on the Jets in the next year. But the Jets have to figure things out. They need to figure it out fast. So what this all adds up to, Ken, is if the Jets for sure want to get this locked down, the best way to do it is to throw a stupid number out there and pay a guy above what he would get to pay pay a guy to forego the look at what else is out there. Now, maybe Pierre-Luc Dubois is the kind of guy who says, yeah, but if I take a $9 million, and I'm not saying that's the number, but if I take a $9 million contract, I'm going to hamstring this team's ability to bring other teams in and we won't win. But the fact of the matter is, Pierre-Luc Dubois holds the vast majority of cards in here. The Winnipeg Jets card, the the one card that they hold, is the ability to potentially pay him a lot of money to get him to just stop thinking about anything else and see the dollar signs and stay here. And I just haven't seen that from the Jets in the past. So to the point of what Elliot was talking about, if the Jets come in here and say exactly what you're saying, Kyle Connor is the best player on this team. We really don't think you should be making more than Kyle Connor. My response, if I'm Pierre-Luc Dubois, is Kyle Connor signed his own contract. He's a big boy. He can take care of himself. If he was willing to settle for that, I'm okay with that. Kyle Connor's not negotiating my contract. Let's talk about what we need to talk about here. And if the Jets don't come with the money that lures him in at this stage, that's when you start hearing those other, you know, those other names popping up and the potential. That I think this is exactly what. Elliot Friedman is talking about there's a ton of p- p- pressure on the Jets. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois' camp knows that. They know they have them backed against the wall. And if the Jets don't conduct themselves like they're backed against the wall, it may just be that uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois' camp starts playing and saying, well, maybe we can wait, we can be patient, and maybe we can see what else is out there to put the pressure on them. I'm not saying it means once his name is out there, he's gone. But it's a, probably a tactic that is going to get used at some point if the Jets don't bring the money. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly interesting. And again, Elliot's right about there will be concerns. And you know who else wants Pierre-Luc Dubois' name in, in trade rumors or to make it known that he could be available? Players who want Pierre-Luc Dubois in yeah. a trade, right? Yeah. So um, that's also something to be you know cognizant of in these sort of situations. I mean, we know, you know, this is not a Jacob Truba situation. I mean, obviously, it's a different thing. But the Jets moved Truba one year out from unrestricted free agency to a team that he was likely to sign with. So the other problem that problem in terms of the leverage side of things, Sean, there aren't a ton of contenders in the NHL right now that have the ability to go, you know, between 8 and $9 million on Pierre-Luc Dubois and have the assets that would be required to trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois. So that's another thing uh, that you have to take into consideration. Um, Could the Jets be backed into a corner? Yes, but do I think that means they're going to automatically, if there's some resistance in the negotiations, I mean, this isn't the first negotiation for Pat Brisson, and it's not the first negotiation that matters for Kevin Sheveldayoff. So could could there be a staring contest element of course that's part of every negotiation but if you're the Jets and you're planning on making foundational changes you want Pierre-Luc Dubois to be one of those foundational pillars so uh, that means you're going to pay him what he's worth Um, what that number is that's where you have to get to the same place I mean salary cap's not really going up much for the next at least two years so you're going to have to be careful but again this is what I would say I mean if every team had to move a player two years out from UFA status, not a lot of teams would be kept together. So, and as you, to your own point, Sean, the Jets have done a good job of keeping core players that they want around together. So yep, yep. I expect usually they make... do it. Usually they do it when they have a lot more um, team control, though, like years under team control. 
I mean, the, the, at, at times, I mean, yeah. Yeah, like like Shifley didn't get close to unrestricted free agency. But that was Kyle his Conner choice. didn't get close to exactly. But this is the choice that was because Kevin Shoveldayoff did a good job of leveraging that. Josh Morrissey doesn't get close to unrestricted free agency. There was a little bit of RFA play there, if we remember. He was late to camp one year. Yeah, um, but, but those guys also yeah. chose financial security in terms of the term and the dollar value, right? For sure, so, for sure. But Pierre-Luc Dubois is in a place where he doesn't need to worry about that. He's already making enough money that he can arbitrate this and whatever the decision is, he's gonna get paid well next year. It doesn't matter, he'll get he'll get paid well. Oh, and if I'm the Jets saying, aren't yeah, going highly sure. above that bar, there really is no reason for him to lock down. I, it just, it, there is almost every single card that Pierre-Luc Dubois could want, he has, his camp has going for them. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that he's going to turn it into that. And then maybe he's, you know, it could very well be that he just loves being here. This is a place where he sees his future and this is what he's going to do. All I'm saying is if we look at it from the outside purely as a card game, one team got dealt you know a near royal flush the other one is hoping for a real good turn on the river right now because it's it's uh it's as far as amassing you know a war chest Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, group has it um just one quick one to wrap this up so sure Pierre-Luc Dubois played with Artemi Panarin for it's part of his time in Columbus now right so this would be the closest thing that he's had to that and I would even argue that Kyle Connor's a, a more pure finisher than Artemi Panarin, who is a wizard but only, and a good goal scorer. But uh, Kyle Connor is at a, even probably at a higher level. So I think that those two play well in tandem and they could do some special things. Um, if we're looking at, I mean, the numbers that were being tossed around when Pierre-Luc Dubois was looking at signing an eight-year deal with the Columbus Blue Jackets, it was around eight for eight. But since that time, he had one tough season with a lot of different circumstances working against him. And he's had one really good season. But that season is is not at a level where he's going to be a $10 million guy. But Agreed. he's shown the potential that he could be at eight or higher. So what's enough and what do you want? So that's what you... And also, like I said, Pierre-Luc Dubois has to believe in the vision. So that's where the exit meeting comes in. If Pierre-Luc Dubois believes in the vision, that will enhance his chances of signing here long term immediately exactly. maybe maybe he wants to wait a year and then here it, right we've seen this with the jets before and kevin chevel has said it you know what if pierre-luc dubois chooses one year and he puts up 40 goals then guess what kevin chevel going to sign him to nine million or higher the year after yeah. if it's- he can his but, his exact words when we asked the same thing about Kyle Connor right. and Patrick Laine was bring it on right like what if what if you go out and you give these guys you know short term deals and they go and they shoot the lights out and all of a sudden they're worth more and it's like well bring it on then we just have two really really good players that we need to deal with and probably in that situation just gives you more uh, to move them I mean here's the one thing that I, I'll say the last or sorry I, I don't want to take the last word from you if you have more to say go for it but if if um, the, the one thing that I would say about this situation is I do believe the Jets are in a position where I'm not so sure they should be, you know, rolling, you know, selling the farm to bring this player in. Like, I I know what you're saying, and I know that he's got a ton of value, but I don't think that Pierre-Luc Dubois is a $9 million or $9.5 million player. I I know you're not saying that. I, I'm, I'm just saying for, for people who are going to argue that out there, I don't I don't look at him and think that I, I, I know he's got a lot of growing to do, but I think that he's one of these players who is he's got a greater effect on the game than just a purely offensive player. But I don't necessarily think that he's ever going to be that guy. You're going to need offensive guys around him to carry the offense on your team. If something happens, if Kyle Connor goes down and if Nick Ehlers go or sorry, if if. Mark Shifley gets moved and you move that point per game offense out and whatever happens with Blake, um, you know, maybe it's aging, whatever it is, and Kyle Connor gets injured and goes down, Pierre-Luc Dubois is not the kind of guy without those assets who's going to carry your team offensively in their absence, right? And usually, so, you know, someone said it in the chat room, you get paid for offense, right? And so that's the situation here. So I, I... I do think if I'm the Winnipeg Jets and you get backed into a wall, which I think Pierre-Luc Dubois' camp has the ability to do, this is why, again, I'm not surprised that that um, 
Elliott is talking about the potential for the name to pop up in trade rumors. Because if you do get backed against a wall in this situation, you think, do we really want to sink this much money just because we're in a bad spot? Or do we roll the dice and not even roll the dice? Do we take this asset and see what other kind of assets we can turn it into? I just think that it's it, it's going to be a fascinating situation. Uh, I, I tend to think that you're right. I tend to think he's going to be around here long term. Um, but th- like I said, there's a million reasons. There's a, there's a lot going on here to your point of like creating a vision of the team. Who's the coach? Do you like the coach that's coming in? Do you like the system that he's going to, to be employing? What does the team look like after you move anything around? There are so many question marks around this team that make it difficult for a player to say, I'm going to plant my flag and stay here for the next eight years because I know what the vision is and I see that they've executed it. There's a lot to be done here. Sure, um, before but the, we just, just one last one on that. Just what have we talked about all year about the Jets and roster construction? We think they probably have too much of the same, right? A lot of those guys Agreed. are small-skilled small players. Pierre-Luc Dubois is what the Jets don't have. Exactly. He's and the exactly moment you don't need. sign him, you're trying to find him. So yep. that's why there's value. And maybe, as you mentioned, maybe it's higher value than some folks in the chat room think he's worth. It's not what he's done to, through his 23-year-old year. It's what you expect him to do is what you're going to be paying for. Yeah. Um, before we go, we, we got to talk about this quickly. Uh, just give me your thoughts on Sandberg and Stanley. I, I mean, Stanley, the, the one goal is clearly an error by Stanley. I don't know why he's jumping on trying to take his defenseman's assignment and leaving his lane wide open to the net. Um, I'll just say it quickly here, and then you can close out this topic. But it, it, We've talked in the past about the idea of why Hanela is not in the lineup, that he makes some moves that can you know, cost the team games. Had the Jets not woke up, that would that play by Logan Stanley when they went up one nothing. if they could have held on to that, would have cost them the game. I do think at this stage something else is clearly at play here in, going on with Logan Stanley here. I think it's, and I've said this before, the Jets are trying to reclaim and keep him confident. Uh, and not send him into the offseason feeling unconfident. Um, but boy, oh boy, if Billy Hanela has made mistakes that have cost him being in this lineup, and Dylan Sandberg has made mistakes recently, and it was said by Dave Lowry uh, today or, or yesterday, I think it was, that Sandberg had been playing well but getting a little bit too comfortable and needed to come out of the lineup to reset his game, clearly clearly Logan Stanley has made mistakes that are worth taking him out of the lineup to reset his game. Whereas I take a look at Dylan Sandberg and the bounce back definitely looks to have been happening. Um, you can blame the coach or you can give the coach credit for taking him out and seeing that. Maybe you didn't see that he was doing anything wrong before that, but Dylan Sandberg had another great game today. What did you see from those two? Yeah, Logan has made two reads that are baffling. Uh, they Again, some people are taking exception to my use of aggressive. They are aggressive and unnecessarily so in both occasions. In both occasions, he cut in front of... They, they were the inverse of one another. One time he cut, cut off Josh Morrissey going from the right side to the left, and this time, Brennan Dillon clearly has the player under control. He cuts in front of him overly aggressive and leaves his own man, JT Comfer, alone to score the goal. Um, but as you mentioned, Sean, I mean, the efforts to help ri- raise the confidence are there and obvious, but right now it's not working. It's just simply not working. I mean, when Logan Stanley hears his coach say, I want to see you move your feet, that's not what he means. He doesn't mean go out of position and try to make a play that has nothing to do with your assignment. So those things happen because you're questioning yourself in real time. And when you do that against NHL players, they can make you look bad. And that's what happened in those two occasions. Um, As far as Dylan Sandberg, uh, his game goes, outstanding again. Uh, Incredible poise and composure, moving the puck well, getting involved. Another assist. What do we say at the start of the year? Dylan Sandberg, not a really offensively, you know, not a real big offensive guy. He's almost at a .5 point per game pace for a guy who doesn't play on the power play. Uh, for me, again, I, I want to see him on the penalty kill before this year is over. We saw him early on when he replaced Logan Stanley, but I want to see him there now. These are important reps for him. Uh, you know, if you don't want to go against Colorado because they're a high-octane team, fine. But use use Dylan Sandberg on the PK against Philadelphia or against Seattle. I mean, it's a, Dave said it when I asked him this morning, Sean. He has to play on the penalty kill to be in their lineup next year. So use him there now. Help get him some 
same thing with confidence. You know, he knows he can do the job. He's willing to block shots. He gets in lanes. He's good on clears. He can clear the front of the net. He has all the tools that you want in a penalty killer. And for me, Sean, the Jets' penalty kill has struggled. So why not give these guys a test drive late in the year, especially when you're going to use them next year in that in those roles? Yeah. Yeah, or I don't think we're going to go down that road. There's no. lots to talk about with that. We don't have enough time. We got a what is this five foot eight? I'm six feet tall, Mal Paris. What's your what's your deal? What what the heck is up with that? Um, I want to just t- touch on a couple of things here. Tishu um, says, does local media ever talk to players, agents, or executives? I have a hard time believing you guys don't have a clue and defer to Elliot. No one is saying that they don't have a clue. No one is saying that we don't talk to players, agents, and execs. Um, but there's a difference between local and national media, and you'll find that. Uh, um, I mean, I, I, I don't want I don't want to give too much credit to the national media versus this, but there's places that things are taken to um, when they need to be broken, when a message needs to be sent, when an agent wants information out there, he can either release it in the market or he can release it into the national conversation. Um, so I think. Tishu, you should probably have seen enough by now to see where um, a lot of the stuff is broken on trade deadline day and free agency day and stuff like that to see where the choice place for it. And again, this is by no means am I saying that Ken doesn't have lots of conversations or I don't have conversations with agents. I could tell you right now, I've been in on stuff that I've pushed for before. There's some things that I've broken, uh, but I, I would take a look at, you know, most markets and see who the people are breaking the news in those markets when it's the biggest of contracts or when, you know, things are leaked. Uh, and I mean, that should tell you right there, uh the dynamic of how that works um the other thing uh that i wanted to bring in i think i missed this uh i didn't i didn't set aside but if all of you have a primal scream and ken i don't know if you want to respond to that because i don't want to speak for you and i don't i hope it doesn't sound like i'm like taking away from what we do locally here ken does a phenomenal job and is extremely plugged in um and I, I, I like to think I am as well. Um, I'm not demeaning what we do in any way, but there is, I mean, take a look at where things are broken. There's, there's definitely different ways these things are handled. Um, there's a lot of you out there who feel like releasing a primal scream because of the weather that's happening. If you want to, you can direct it entirely at me. I was the guy who Way called go, for more snow to get us from fifth, from sixth place, all-time snowiest winters, to third. We did it, ladies and gentlemen. We are at third place. I'm ready to shut down the Rennie snowmaking machine uh, and let the summer begin. Although... I did notice that second place is only 1.7 centimeters above where we are right now. That's only about that much. So what do you say? Should we roll the dice again? Just get a little bit more snow? I'm not saying no. I'm not going to say yes. I'm saying no. I can't take any more heat from this. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I I can't handle it. It's it's too much. I've been having people stopping me in the street saying, don't you ever call for snow again, especially at this time of the year. Uh, Last but not least, uh, let's just take you to our our board and show you a little bit of the merch that we have at the Kenny and Randy shop. You just got to go to www.shopsportsnet.store to go check that out. We've got lots of stuff there. We'd love you to check it out. Like I said, half the proceeds that we get um, from that. Uh, We are donating to the uh, Winnipeg Humane Society. So uh, if you want to do a good deed and you want to look sharp in your Kenny and Rennie gear, that's how you do it, ladies and gentlemen. And last but not least, Wednesday, next game, the Winnipeg Jets will welcome the Philadelphia Flyers, who I'm sorry, Jeff Kabilis, but yeah, they're they're, they're trash right now. I'm sorry, my man. That's that's how it's going to happen. But uh, um, it's uh, the final, not hockey night, it's a Wednesday night hockey broadcast, final sports net broadcast of the year uh, before we launch into playoffs. You will see me on the sidelines for that game. So looking forward to seeing everybody there. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, if you haven't uh, subscribed to our YouTube channel, go do that. Go click like. Helps you find our videos. Thank you so much, everyone. We will see you on Wednesday.